Good morning. Uh, yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, like like he said, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let us hear it and respond to it as such this morning, uh, evening. <laughs> Today we're reading Nehemiah uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hekepharim, at the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am to doing the great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also, saying that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building a wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done here, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah and the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who had confirmed his home, had confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go to the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in a way and sin. And they said they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, and according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in these, those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehohanan, and had taken the daughter of uh, Meshullah, the son of Barakiah, his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good evening and good morning to you watching online. Good evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. 
uh, hard name, hard name, <laughs> hard name, hard name, and the length of that passage. Um, I, um, I think it's very good that we read, I mean, obviously not exorbitant uh, amounts of scripture, but extended amounts of scripture. So we were spending time in the word and you're getting engaged in the word as we begin. Um, man, I missed you guys. <laughs> uh, I did. Um, it, it's good to be back. And um, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, I will, I, man, I, somebody, somebody said every time I preach, I cry. And I haven't even started yet, I'm going to cry. Um, if you know, if you've heard, I lost my older brother um, on June 10th um, to a stroke um, back in Liberia. Um, I'm going to make that trip um, to Africa starting on Tuesday, Tuesday morning. So if you remember, please do uh, pray for me. Um, I haven't been in 10 years and there's some significant family challenges um, that goes with this trip, um, in addition to the grief. Um, a lot of tradition, a lot of, um, a lot of what I explained a month ago. In case you remember when I talked about grief and how we do grief, that's happening right now at my house. There are 40 or 50 people at my house with mats, and they're sleeping at my house. So when I get there, I will join them. Um, I'm wearing black, and I will wear black for the next 40 days um, to honor my brother. Um, I don't care how to guess outside. I'll wear my black. Um, so if you remember, please um, pray for me. My brother meant a whole lot to me. Um, he was the one that picked me up from kindergarten and taught me most of the things that I know. And because of poor medical services where I come from, um, he was taken to two hospitals and he was refused. And he, he died. Um, it's going to cost me something, but I'm going to say something when I get there. Um, I don't mind. Thank you. As uh, I begin, let me remind you that what I'm going to do in the next half hour, I always tell you this, uh, James chapter 3, verse 1, reminds me and keeps me accountable to the Word of God. That passage, that piece of Scripture, that verse says, not many of us should strive to be teachers of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ because those of us who teach will be judged more strictly. Um, so what I'm going to do in the next half hour, I will be judged before God um, as, as your shepherd to help you understand and illuminate the word of God. So in my study and, and giving room to the Holy Spirit to preach to what you need to hear in 2021 in Tucson, Arizona, it's where I try to, to hone in, to bring the word of God to you um, live and direct. So let us, let us pray and enter into the word of God uh, this evening and morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. Um, we honor you. Lord, would you, would you descend on this place if you haven't already and let your presence be felt in this place this time, Lord, and through the technology, oh God, tomorrow morning. Lord, I pray that you will use me as just a mouthpiece to communicate the truth that is in your scriptures, Lord, and the ever-present fact that you live, and be, through you we live. God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, it is constant, it is worthy of our hearing ears and our tender hearts. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The book of Nehemiah, as we've been in, uh, we're in chapter 6 today, has many lessons, uh, very helpful, I think very helpful book when you're dealing with issues of leadership, when you're facing adversity, leaning on God for hope and vision and everything else. Um, if you've been following along, which I hope you have, uh, you will see a story that is unfolding very, uh, very in, in a sense, very poetic uh, in the way the Hebrew, the way the, the Hebrews wrote, the way the Jewish people wrote back in those days. Um, very rarely do we ever read this book and ask ourselves, what does this book actually say about the, the coming Messiah? What does this book say about Jesus Christ? Or, specifically today, what does it say about the unrelenting tactics of the enemy of man, the devil? By the way, if you're new, my name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> The last few weeks of our study, um, Nehemiah has gained a lot of favor. He has gained favor from the king of Persia, and the king of Persia has sent him to go build this wall around his, his nation state of Jerusalem. He's building the wall, but he's, he's facing some significant and incredible opposition from two rivals, basically Tobiah and Sambalat. Um, from these, these guys were, were in the area, and they did not want to see Israel become a nation again. Tobiah and Sambalat are their names, right? He's also facing internal pressures from the people who are helping him build the wall, right? So there, there are people who are in the surrounding cities who are giving him opposition, but also people who are helping him build a wall. Um, the question I asked myself as I started going into this passage, I said, well, if, 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 if I were in a neighborhood, if you were in your neighborhood, and no one had a fence, and all of a sudden you started building a fence, <laughs> we're going to be like, what's going on in that house? What's happening there, right? So if, when he starts to build his wall around the city, people are like, well, well, what's happening in that house? The other thing that one of the, one of the, the more important things is that the people who were with, um, who were with Nehemiah asked the question um, because they knew, if they knew their Bibles, in the book of Zechariah, when God predicts that Israel, there will be a new Jerusalem, what they're imagining it wouldn't have walls. In Zechariah, the, uh, the Bible says, Zechariah writes that the new Jerusalem will be a city without walls. So why are we building walls? Well, chapter 6 of this narrative brings us in contact with the enemy, not only externally but within. The enemy within our community, our family, our friends, and even the enemy that is within us, all of us. The tactics that the devil uses to derail us. Whenever we encounter new vision as the people of God, we generally respond in three ways. Whenever someone has a new idea or a new venture, like, I, like Nehemiah is having right now, he's saying, God told me to build this wall. It's very foreign to the people. And they've been gone in exile for so long that when he brings up this idea, he's kind of like a visionary. But God has placed something in his heart that he's trying to communicate and move a nation of people into building a wall. So the three kinds of people that we're going to focus on today are what I call the ready, the people who, are, who grasp the vision from the beginning, the reluctant and the resistant, the ready, the reluctant, and the resistant. Let me explain all three, and I'll see how they, you will see how they play out. The ready people are the people who were with Nehemiah, and they're ready to go. 
we're going to build a wall? Let's go, right? The Jennies of the world. Uh, the people who are ready. <laughs> in this day and age, I want you to think of people who, like, people who would stand online for the iPhone overnight, right? The people who, who were the first people to put solar panels on their houses. The people who, like me, were the first ones to line up to eat Popeye's chicken <laughs> sandwich, right? The people who, when skinny jeans started coming, they were out front. Side note, I was in France in 2006, and I saw guys wearing skinny jeans, and I thought, this will never make it to the States. <laughs> it did. And here I am. Jeez. The people who grab the vision from the beginning, and they get it, and they start going, right? The future-minded, the change-oriented, right? They see the sevens on the Enneagram, if you're with me. They see what can be and what can come through, right? The second group of people, this is where most of us fall in, actually. I think I most of the time fall in this group, are the reluctant. People who say, I need to see it. I need to see it working, right? I need to see it. Like, I see you getting an iPhone, but I'm going to stick with my flip joint, right? <laughs> I see you're doing this, but I'm going to stick to this. I need to see it. In, it's like 70% of us are right in that group. Like, we need to see somebody else do it first. Like, all these people running off to go to space right now? Like, I need to see that happen. Come back, let them be a couple years, then make it back and forth before I would say, okay, maybe, right? Maybe. Pastor says it. The people in a reluctant group, the pastors or the leadership will say, and they'll say, okay, pastor, I, I trust you, and I'm going to go with you, right? But maybe I need a meeting. Maybe I need some clarification. Most of us fall in this group. The third group, by the way, all of these groups are not necessarily bad. They're just our disposition to certain things, right? The third group are the resistant. People will say, man, I'm not moving. It's not going to happen here. Uh, they're they're not actively not moving, but they're actually going to, going to try to stop what's happening, right? Your resistors. These are the contentious people. All three of these people, by the way, are in this room when it comes to different things. You don't, you know, we're not naturally predisposed to one of these positions. Just depending on what we're dealing with, it's one, sometimes we're resistant, sometimes we get it, we're ready, but sometimes we're reluctant. We are scattered on all these issues. Nehemiah is working with all three of these people. But the main group we're going to talk about today, obviously, are the people who are actively resisting the wall, right? I've titled this, this, this evening or morning sermon, uh, The Enemy is Persistent, However, God is Good. The enemy is very persistent. Um, if, you're, if you're new to Christianity, I will say that there is, there is an enemy. It's a spiritual enemy. To, he's the enemy of man. He's not the opposite of God. He's not, he's not the, the kind of the, the whatever you want to call it, Superman's antithesis or whoever, Batman's antithesis. He is the enemy of us. He is trying to destroy us. He's trying to destroy us so that we don't do the work of God, right? That is the devil, right? Join me and stay close to the scriptures this, this morning because we're going to go, we're going to kind of walk line by line. So if you have your Bible labs and you have your Bibles open, stay with me. So Nehemiah and the enemy, he identifies the three, the three people in the story and the things that the enemy actually uses to draw us away from God. The, 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 the tactics that the devil uses to bring us away from what God has. 
in this passage, in this chapter, the enemy uses three tactics to come against Nehemiah so that he stops doing what God has called him to do. The first tactic the enemy uses is what I call diversion. Verse 1. Now when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time we had not set up the doors to the gates, Samballot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakfiram in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work while I leave it and come to you? And they sent for me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Four different times, the enemy called for Nehemiah to have a meeting, to get him away from the work. Because once he leaves the work, your reluctant people or your resistant people aren't going to do any work. So the enemy sees that and says, if we get him to come to meetings with us, maybe we can end this work. If we take the head of the work of God, then the body won't be able to move. If we, you know, some people say, man, to kill something, you need to, to kill a snake, you got you to gotta kill the head, you got you to gotta mash the head. If he takes the head, which is Nehemiah, they won't complete the work. Four times. They keep sending, keep sending. I want you to keep in your mind, start thinking, who else was called four times? Who else the devil tempted four times? I hope you, 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 see, you stay with me. If you're a Bible person, you're with me, right? Four times they call him, let's meet. When I was getting into leadership, uh, someone told me, if you, want, if you don't want to get anything done, start a committee and have meetings. <laughs> when I was a teacher, I used to put my principal on a time clock and say, listen, this meeting needs to be 45 minutes or less. Tell me it, because I don't want to sit here and not get things done. They call him four times, and four times he answers them in the same way. I'm doing a great work. I need to get this done. The second way the enemy tries to, tries to derail us, or derail Nehemiah in this case, is false accusations. False accusations. He accuses them in their lies, right? Verse 5, he says, in it it is written, so they write the letter, they write an open letter to Nehemiah after he doesn't show up for four times. They say, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. This is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Both accusations are untrue. Nehemiah has never said he wanted to be king, and the people of Israel have never tried to rebel. But these are accusations that they press on him to say, if you do not come and meet with us, this is what we think is going to happen. This is what we think you are planning. Let's look at this again. It is reported. That's how gossip starts. People, if I had a dime, if I had a dime for every time people said, some people are saying this about the church. Some people are, people are saying, I heard this. Dismiss that. That's, that's something that's coming that's not from the Lord, right? Tell me who said it. Tell me Elliot is saying this. Don't say a couple people I heard, right? If I had a dime, I'd be building, if I had a dime for every time someone said that to me, I'd be building schools in Liberia, right? Tell me. Rumors are, people are saying, I heard, all those things. They are lies. They are written lies to get him off track. The devil is a liar. 
You, you know how in the Bible says God is love, right? Like the is there is kind of not an is of predication, but an is of attribution. I'm getting off topic here, but let's go to the grammar right now, right? Predication is God is something, like he's doing something, but it, love is an attribute of God. The devil's main attribute is that he's a liar. In the black community, we don't say the devil is a liar. We say the devil is a lie, right? He's a lie, and all he does is lie. The third way the enemy tried to derail Nehemiah is through fear. He says, and now the king will hear of these reports. At the end of their letters, he says, now the king will hear of these reports. So come now and let us counsel together. In a sense, in their letter that they're writing, let me read this letter. From verse 6, it says, in it it was written in the letter. It is reported among the nations, I just read that, right? Verse 7 and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So come now and let us meet. So what they're saying is, hey, we're going to go tell the king if you don't show up to meet with us. This might not seem like a big threat to Nehemiah, but it is. Because Nehemiah has gotten favor in chapter 1. He asked the king, can I please go back to my home? so that I can help my people build a wall. And the king says, yes, you can go. And I'm even going to send you guards to make sure you get home. So when they say, we're going to go tell the king that you're trying to rebel, they're saying, we're going to report you. Basically, we're taking you to the principal's office because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Anybody here of principal's office? No? That didn't, no? <laughs> they used to do it for me. We're going to the principal's office. Oh, oh, no. The king gave Nehemiah permission to go, and now they're trying to turn it around to say he is going against the king. So Nehemiah, in verse 10, actually goes to meet with a prophet to understand, to see all these threats. He said, you know what, let me go meet with the prophet. Um, he goes in verse 10 to meet with the prophet in verse 10. Now he says, now when I was in the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, who was the prophet, son of Mehithabel, who was confined to his home, he said, quote, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. This seems like a perfectly good place, a perfectly great person to be with, the prophet of the Lord. Let me go meet him. And the prophet says, man, they're going to try to kill you. Let's go to the temple. But here's the thing. This prophet is, is a false prophet. I'm going to take a little side note here um, and talk about this really quickly. Shemaiah, in this story, there, there are terrible people who are trying to kill Nehemiah, but Shemaiah here is kind of the worst of the worst. The prophet, and, and it, uh, in the Hebrew, it doesn't clearly say why he's confined to his home. I don't know if he's under house arrest because he's poor behaving, or he's sick in some way, or he, he's a shut-in and can't leave his home. But if someone can't leave their home, why are they inviting you to go to the temple with them, right? Um, Shemaiah is, is basically saying, I'm going to take you to God's house to do something that is not to be done in God's house. This was not the place to have a meeting. This was the worship house of God. Let me go deeper. Verse 12, Nehemiah says, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him. 
but he had, he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they gave me a bad name in order to taunt me. Shemaiah, the priest, is on the payroll of Nehemiah's enemy, Tobiah and Sambalat. And he's getting paid to basically be a false prophet. I, I, I can't tell you how shameful this is. In, in, even in, in our current situation in this country, there are false prophets who are on someone else's payroll, quote-unquote, and are doing things through the work of God that are contrary to what God wants to see. Shemaiah is very shameful. So how does Nehemiah handle this situation? He's got people requesting meetings of him, people wanting to go to the temple, people they're kind of kill him at night. How does he handle the situation? How does he address it? How does he handle the distractions? How does he handle the false accusations, the fears, the threats of his life? Well, Nehemiah is a man of God. Nehemiah is in close relationship with God because he can, he can actually discern what's happening. Is he a super, does he have superpowers? No. He walks with the Lord, right? And, and, and I want to give you a non-symbolic way of saying that, that he walks with the Lord. I, what, what, what I'm trying to say is Nehemiah is in the presence of God. He's in communication with God. God is talking to him either through prayer or through speaking or, or he's reading the word of God constantly. He's in the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, you're able to discern. You're able to see distractions. You're able to see the false accusations. You're able to see the work of the devil even clearly. Here's how he handles it. He correctly recognizes quickly the enemy's tactics. He says in verse, in verse 8, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. I love Nehemiah talking some trash here. He said, man, you guys are making this up, right? You're, you're making things up in your own mind. I, I'm not trying to take nothing over. You're, uh, nothing. Don't even go there, right? Then he says, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking this will drop their hands from the work and it will not be done. They're trying to put fear in me so that I can get the work done. He recognizes that from the beginning and he calls it out. And I understood that God, and he says in verse 8 and 9, he says, and I, understood, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. How does he know? How does he know? that the direct deposits are going to Shemaiah's bank account from Tobiah. How does he know? They wanted to harm him. He knows that. In chapter 4, I was, I was in chapter 6, I'm reading, I said, well, how does he know? Well, in chapter 4, verse 1 of Nehemiah, it says that now Sambalat heard that they were building a wall, and he was very angry and greatly enraged. The Bible didn't just say he was angry. It said he was very angry, very angry, and greatly enraged. There are some adjectives there, right? Angry and enraged would have done it, but very angry and greatly enraged. So that's, that's, that's words to say, Sam Ballard really wants to see Nehemiah stop this thing. And it's that they jeered at the Jews. They made fun of him for trying to build this wall. The second thing he does that he correctly understands that he sees his responses to these threats are he prays for them. He prays for his enemies. <laughs> when I saw that, I said, oh man, wow. He's praying for his enemies. But here's a prayer. 
The NIV actually does this really well in verse 9. I know we're ESV people here, but the NIV says, after all the things that he does, in verse 9 it says, for all they wanted to do was frighten us, thinking their hands will, quote, drop from the work and will not be done. That phrase right there, but now, O God, strengthen my hand. In the NIV it says, but I prayed. When things are happening, when the enemy is coming and you say, I'm going to stop, but I prayed. Here is his prayer in verse 12. The first word in the prayer is God remember. Uh, 14, I'm sorry, verse 14. Remember. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat. These are his enemies saying, God, remember. According to these things they did and also the prophets Nodiah. So he says, God, remember. Now, before we get high on our horse, you got to understand, Nehemiah is a human being. Remember here, it's not just God, remember Nehemiah, remember Sam Ballot. Oh, he's my enemy. I'm going to pray for him. The Hebrew word that he uses here in remember is, is, is a call to action like, he's not asking God to remember just intellectually, remember them. Like, don't forget them, God. Well, yeah, I got, like, grocery list, right? Not that. What he's calling is, he's calling God to remember and actually act. He's calling God to act in a way that brings Nehemiah before God, or brings Tobiah and Sambalat before him, right? He says, God, remember, bring, please deal with these people. Here they are in my prayer. I'm putting them in your hands. I don't want to be their enemy. I'm going to put them in your hands. If you choose to, to do justice or mercy, I'm okay, but I'm going to put them in your hands, right? He's saying, God, remember them. For my sake, remember them. Deal with them. I'm going to travel to Liberia, like I said, this week, and there's been a kind of a heavy emphasis on um, justice and forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, I, I lay on the side of reconciliation when it comes to people who committed crimes in the war who are still walking the streets of Liberia. There are some people who are demanding justice, and justice done, does need to be done. Um, but I've decided to put people, kind of, and a lot of people with me, to put them before God. But the guy's going to do justice or have mercy on him, let him do it. Um, and I will, I'm sure I will come in contact with people that I need to, to, to have conversations with while I'm in Liberia, and I'm excited about that. But Nehemiah is putting Sam Ballot, his enemy, and Tobiah, his enemy, before God. So God, remember them. Don't forget them. Whether you want to punish them or you want to forgive them, here they are. The third thing he does, he stands firm and he's unwavering. Verse 3. It says, and I sent messengers to them in response, saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should, I, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent for me four times and I answered them in the same manner. He also responds to the false prophet in this way. Should a man such as me run away? And what man, should, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Nehemiah stands firm against the works of the enemy. So if they wanted to harm him and he's presenting them to God, what kind of man is he? 
Nehemiah is a man who's walking, like I said, walking closely with God. In his quiet relationship with God, he's able to correctly discern the works of the enemy. The enemy is very persistent in all of our lives, but God is good and he is faithful. So let me turn the tables and talk about us, right? Nehemiah, do you know the weapons, the strategies that the enemy uses to stop the work of God in your life? Some of us can be resistors. Some of us can be reluctant. Some of us can be ready, unknowingly. Do you know what the enemy is doing to resist the work of God in your life? Let me put it in this way. Whenever I read a Bible story, and I'm sure maybe you do, you always put yourself in the shoes of the protagonist. We always see ourselves uh, as the Nehemiah in the story. I want you to switch that. Put yourself in the shoes of the reluctant, maybe even the resistant in the story. Is your lack of repentance and humility in certain areas presenting a challenge for God to do the work in this city? Can you identify the three R's within yourself when it comes to the work of God? Where do you sit in your family? Are you the resistor? Are you, the one, are you the one holding up the, what God is doing? In our nation, in our city, in your family, do you recognize the work of God? What are the conversations, by the way, that are dominating the national news and how is God working? Think about the last year. Not even, I'm not talking about COVID. Just everything that is just blown up in this country. Can you see God working? Last week, Keith talked about the conversation about caring for the poor in our society. Where are you in that conversation? Are you looking? Are you actively resisting? Are you ready to act on behalf of the poor? As we come out of this COVID situation, what gospel conversations are happening? What's happening around this conversation around mass, around personal freedom, around race, right? Where is God working? Or is it purely economics and sociology? Or is there a gospel thread that you've seen in this country, in the world, in these days? You guys ready to explore? Let's keep going. Am I getting on your block? All right. God's doing a work in this country. God's doing a work in our city. How you react to the enemy's diversions, false accusations, and fear tactics in this time is a summation of how you've already, if you placed yourself in a story back then, that's how you would have acted back then. Last week, I was in, I was in Maine. Uh, nothing against Arizona. Maine, I think, is the most beautiful state that we have. Um, I, I was fortunate enough in college to, co to play soccer, and I went to coach soccer in a summer camp in Maine. And now I go back to talk to college kids who are coaching all those kind of things. And it's not a religious setting, so I speak uh, kind of, quote-unquote, secular, and I talk about leadership, and I talk about cross-cultural relationships and all these kinds of things. God is doing a gospel work there as well. Um, and two of the counselors, after I was done speaking, pulled me aside and said, Man, I, I heard you say you were a pastor, right? 
My family, I have fallen away from the faith because my family members in the last year and a half, I have not been happy with their response with things that have happened politically in the country. Um, one, one guy almost brought tears to my eyes. You know, that's not hard. Um, he said, my father's a pastor. Both my uncles are pastors. But I'm walking away from the faith because I couldn't find the tools to engage our culture. And I didn't think Christianity was sufficient to engage what we're facing in, in our country today. I pick up Christianity Today magazines and I see every month it seems like there is some kind of survey or something like that that talks about how many people have walked away from the church, the rise of the nuns, they call it, right? People who are non-religiously affiliated, right? And I get a little bubble in my stomach. I don't know if it happens to you. You get a little anxiety because you don't understand why would people walk away from the church, God is doing a work here. We're going from churchgoers to Jesus followers. You missed that. We as a nation are going from churchgoers to Christ followers. Don't get alarmed with people who are registering none, right? God is doing a work within the church, right? He is kind of shedding people who are... are Cultural Christians, I would call them, and not Jesus followers. Are you hearing me? This country, that by the way, this is, is 4th of July, and I, can I just say that I love America? Let me just throw that out there. I love America. I came from, you know this, I came from somewhere that did not have what we have here. One of, one of the biggest reasons I like this country, I love this country, is the ability of this country to look in the mirror and make adjustments. Like James says, right? We are part of the looking in the mirror and making an adjustment. Our country is becoming a mission field. Uh oh. Resistors, reluctant. <laughs> we are on a mission field. God is doing a work in our country, in our city, that we cannot afford to be resistors. We have to have the discernment to see what work God is doing and get on that path. Have you ever thought about America as a mission field? I have, and you should. Matter of fact, break it down this way. Tucson is a mission field. Break it down this way. Your block is a mission field. Break it down this way. Thanksgiving, Christmas, family meals, that's a mission field, right? And you are not probably not dealing with people who are adverse. You're dealing with people who are church-going people. Somebody's going to say amen sooner or later. <laughs> new ideas that are not so new are here, Right? I started an exercise regimen a few months ago because I needed, because I got too, Tucson happy. Tucson got too much, too much good food. I stepped on the scale one day, I, I had to close one eye to make, to make sure I was looking at the scale with my good eye. Like, is this the number? Is this where we are? So I had to pause, right? Had a resistor in me. You know you need to do it. You know you need to do it but you're, you're looking at the thing that's happening. Like Nehemiah has people building a wall. They know they need to build a wall, but you're, you're thinking, man, how long is this going to take? 
Pray about these things. Ask God. Walk with God in these times. If you limit yourself to just engaging our culture through a screen, you will miss it. You will miss what God is doing if your only engagement with society, with the culture, is through a screen. If you feel anxiety because you don't have the theological framework to handle current issues, God is working. Get around the table. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in our city? Where is the, can you identify the work of God in our city and say, God is doing something here. I need to jump. I need to get on board. Can you identify the work of God in our city? Let me remind you as I close this evening or this morning that in this passage, Christ is in it. Right? Let me, let me just, let's, let's pull it out. Christ is in it. Jesus himself faces the three R's in people. Look at his group that he's hanging out with, the disciples. Nehemiah is imperfect, but he's pointing us to a perfect person that sees and understands temptation and deals with it properly. Okay? In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus was tempted by the devil. By the way, it doesn't say three times. It could have been more times than three, but it just records three. So it could have been five, ten, but uh, Matthew records three of Jesus' temptations. And how, how does Jesus handle it? He comes back with scripture. He comes back, he stands firm, right? The false accusations, all the stuff that a devil is calling up to, he's able to stop it. You have scripture in your life to call out the devil. Jesus received the same accusations that Nehemiah receives, right? That he was accused of trying to build a kingdom. He was accused of trying to be a king, right? He was accused of trying to lead a rebellion. He was accused, of, the, 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 the religious leader said, Jesus, you try, are you trying to be king? No, the same thing Nehemiah had. No, he's doing the work of God. The three R's that in Jesus' circle, if you don't remember, let me rephrase, let me give them to you right now. If you look at the 12 disciples, you can tell Peter is, is the ready. Thank you very much, right? When Jesus says something, he's on it. He's, he catches the vision, he's ready, whether he's wrong or not, he's going to go with it, right? Whether the iPhone's going to work or not, he's gone, right? Jesus is, uh, Peter is ready. In John chapter 14, we see we come in contact with two, two disciples who are reluctant, right? If you think of Philip. Right? Jesus says, I'm, Jesus gives Philip the vision. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Philip said, where are you going? Tell, tell us so we can see the Father. Like, he's like, mm, I'm not sure. Right? Thomas. What does Thomas say? I need to see it before I believe it. I need to see the scars in your hands before I believe that you actually, you're actually real. He's a reluctant. Need I say more about the resistant? Are you with me? Do I need to call his name? Judas. He's not only resistant, he's actually actively trying. He's selling Jesus. Not in a good way, by the way. Right? He, he's, he's, he sold Jesus out. The same three people, the same personalities you see displayed before you. Discernment, folks, doesn't come by magic to discern what God is doing in our city, in your family, even in you, comes by spending time in the word of God. 
Nehemiah's the sermon, right? Don't be surprised. Don't not be surprised in your life when the enemy comes. Walking with God, I would say, is a metaphor for spiritual closeness with God. If you aren't in relationship with God, if you aren't spending time with the Lord, when the devil comes, you will not recognize his tactics. You will deal with situations that are spiritual, right? Purely practical. And practicality is not going to work when you're dealing with a spiritual thing. You're not dealing with flesh and blood, folks. Nehemiah was not dealing with flesh and blood. He was dealing with principalities and powers. Spending time before God is the only way to recognize the devil's schemes. The enemy is persistent, but God is good. I'm not sure where you are today in your work in your work or your walk with the Lord. But I want to urge you to sit at some point this week and say, what is God doing in this city? And am I a part of that work? Am I ready? Am I going? Am I reluctant? Or am I actively actually resisting what God is doing? You're one of those three. And when you recognize where you are, don't stay where you are. Start moving. Start moving. Because I guarantee you there's a thousand things that God is doing in this city. Foster care and adoption, abortion, housing with the poor. There, 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 is just, there is just countless things that God is doing in this country, in this city, on, in, in the university, wherever it is. Find a place. Call yourself out. And become a ready person for the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God, for helping us discern what the enemy does and how he operates. Lord, but we are in no way afraid of him because we are covered. May we seek you and only you out of love and not fear. May we walk as you walk. May we recognize that you are who you are, no matter where we are. Would you show us what you're doing in our city? What projects you're involved in? What spiritual work? What prayer groups? What, 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 what poverty neighborhood? Wherever we need to be, may we be a light and not be resistant, actively resistant against your work. We thank you, Lord, for what you have accomplished here today. In Jesus' name. Amen.